0: Well, thank you, thank you, thank you for making me feel so welcome, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, Before we get going, why don't we pray, and then we'll get underway. Father God, I thank you so much that your heart is for us, towards us, that you're here with us. I thank you, God, that we get to gather in the absence of persecution, and today we sit at your feet and we ask you to teach us. Open up our hearts and our minds to receive the message that you've prepared for each and every one of us today. And for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How are you all doing? Happy Australia Day, which was this week. And uh, of course, this weekend, history in the making in Australia, Roger Federer. I'm telling you, there's something about Australia that's worth celebrating, and Switzerland as well. I love Switzerland, it's great to be back here, especially on your first birthday. This is ICF's new home. This building is today one year old, so congratulations. It's exciting to be back in the land of Swiss chocolate, the land of snowy mountains, the land of cowbells, and yee and it's awesome to have gone skiing again because I believe that all good men and women of God need to know how to ski. But if you're going to ski, you also need to know how to pray. And last year, I was skiing with a good friend of mine, Pastor Sasha Encht, who works with persecuted Christians around the world. And if you're going to dabble in that area, you've got to really know how to pray. And I think that's a good guy to go skiing with. I was skiing together, of course, with my son. I believe that families that ski together stay together. And we had a great time, except for on the last run of the day, out of the corner of my eye, I saw my son take a tumble. Now, I'd already skied off over the hill, and so it was too late for me to stop, but thank God, Pastor Sasha Ernst was coming from behind. So I waited for them to ski on down to me because I knew everything would be all right. Pastor Sasha is there, he's the prayer warrior. What, what, what possibly could go wrong? But I waited and waited. And they didn't come. And in that moment, I knew, okay, something is wrong. This is not all okay. So I took my skis off and and hiked back up the mountain, only to arrive at the same time as the paramedics. And Pastor Sasha said, look, 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 don't worry, everything's okay. When I arrived, I prayed. But I also called the paramedics because his leg was at a 90-degree angle. The paramedics confirmed that this injury was so bad that he would have to go to hospital and have x-rays because the brake looked like it might need screws or whatever. And and so they put him on the sled and carted him away down to the gondola where, of course, he would be transported down to the town. But, But I've got a question. Why is it that sometimes when we pray... God not only hears our prayers, but he answers our prayers. He causes a miracle to take place. But why is it that in other situations or times, it seems as though God doesn't do a miracle? I mean, in this particular instance, I had Pastor Sasha praying, if there was ever a time that a miracle should take place, now is the time. But why God? Why no miracle? And I want to provoke a thought today that Just because you haven't seen a miracle doesn't mean that a miracle hasn't happened. Or just because a miracle hasn't happened doesn't mean that God doesn't do miracles. It may simply be that we don't yet have all of the information. To emphasize or illustrate this point, I want to share a quick little story with you from the Bible. This is a story about two guys who share the same name. One guy is called Yeshua Barabbas, and the other guy is called Yeshua Mashiach Jesus, the Messiah. These guys are both prisoners, but one is a king, the other is a criminal. And on this particular day, the governor comes out to the crowd and says, look, it is our tradition on this day that I will release one of the prisoners to you. So let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to start reading in verse 20 all the way up to verse 23. And it says But the chief priests and the elders had already persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and to have Jesus executed. Which one of these two do you want me to release to you today? said the governor, who was clearly from Switzerland. Barabbas, the crowd answered. What then shall I do with this one called Jesus Messiah? Pilate said. And they all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? said Pilate. But the crowd shouted even louder, Crucify him. Now, in order to make this story come to life today, I'm just going to need a little bit of audience participation. Now, I know that we're the smallest service of the day, but what you lack in size, I know that the English service makes up for in volume. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be Pontus Pilate. I'm going to be the governor. And I'm going to ask you the question, which one of these shall we release today? And you all are going to shout out Barabbas. Let's have a bit of a trial run. Are you ready to go? Which one of these two do you want me to release to you today? Okay, so this is going to work well. This is going to be good. All right. So then, of course, I'm going to go on to ask, well, what then shall I do with this other one called Jesus? I'd like you to shout out, crucify Him. And when I say to you why, what crime has He committed? Shout even louder, crucify Him. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Are you ready to go? is our tradition today? We eat Swiss cheese, we eat Swiss chocolate, we do lots of things as tradition, but today it is our tradition to release a prisoner. Which one of these two prisoners would you like to me to release to you today? Brothers. What then shall I do with this other one called Jesus Messiah? Bruce, why? why, what crime has he committed? Bruce, Can you imagine? what must have been going on in the mind of Barabbas, who is likely sitting in his cell underneath the platform where this is taking place in the dungeon, which is where the prisoners were kept, because the man will not have been able to have heard the voice of one governor, but he can absolutely hear the shouting of the crowd. And what did he hear the crowd saying? Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. He must have been completely freaking out. And when the Roman soldiers came on down to get him, they brought him upstairs, and then they said, you're free to go. He must have thought, what kind of sick joke is this? I heard it said, Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. You're just setting me up. This is like one of those things where you say, run, and I have to run now. You're going to kill me. I heard it said. But just because you may have heard it said doesn't necessarily mean that you have all of the information. I love the Bible, the way it puts it. It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, there's a pause in the middle of the statement. Faith comes by hearing. In other words, you can hear some things and as a result of what you've heard, you will develop a faith or a belief system for it. But you may not have all of the information because faith also comes by hearing the word of God and now you've got the full picture or the full story. Even though you may have heard it said, you might not have all of the information. This is classically what Jesus has said to his disciples. In fact, check it out. Matthew chapter uh, chapter 5 verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, if you much such as hate your brother or your sister, you'll be subject to that same judgment. Or as it goes on to say in verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Even though we may have heard it said, we may not yet have all of the information. I love how Jesus would share these paradoxes with his disciples. A paradox is simply a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement that doesn't seem to make sense, but yet when investigated, may actually prove to be true. And if you will allow me, I would love to share just one more paradox with you today. Are you ready to go? Three of you? Anyone else ready to go? Ready to go? ICF Zurich International Church, let us begin. You have heard it said that if you want to get anywhere in life, you have to think bigger or dream bigger. But I tell you, don't just think or dream bigger. Think bigger. Better. I love that just recently we celebrated the anniversary of Martin Luther King and he of course is famous for his speech, his declaration that I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold to the truth that all men were created equal. Martin Luther had a dream, but my guess is you all got a dream. I've got a dream. We've all got dreams, and dreams are incredibly important. But at the same time, my observation is that people don't typically get what they dream for, they get what they plan for. And people only tend to plan for that which they believe is possible to achieve. Sometimes you might hear people saying, no, 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 I'm believing for the impossible. But it's an actual contradiction in terms. Because if you're believing it, then you think it may well be possible. Even though it might seemingly be impossible, I believe that there is a way that it could be possible. Because if you're believing for something that's not actually possible, well, that's not a belief or a dream. That's just called wishful thinking. You're on a journey to nowhere. The Bible puts it like this, as a person thinks in their heart, so they become. I love uh, hearing American motivational presenters um, around the world, especially on the topic of finance, because they often quote, or should I say misquote this statement. They'll often say things like, as a person thinks, so they become. So if you can just think positive, you can do, be, or become whatever you want to be. Right? You heard that before. But, but I'm like, misquote, because it's not as a person thinks, so they become. It's as a person thinks where? In their heart, so they become. But hang on, what's the heart got to do with thinking? Don't we do our thinking in our head? Well, it might surprise you to know that the heart and the head share each other's properties. That the heart actually has 10 to 40 million neurons or brain cells in the heart, and the head has its own heartbeat of sorts. We call it the sensory motor rhythm, such that if you were to wire up your heart to a computer monitor and wire up your head to a different computer monitor, one is called an ECG, an electrocardiogram, the other is called an EEG, an electroencephalogram, you will see two different bleeps on the screen. The head, in other words, is operating or beating to its own drum. The heart and the head share each other's properties. If you have a thought, a thought is easily manipulatable. It's easily changeable. I can change your thinking just by telling you new information. But when a thought migrates south and becomes infused with what the Proverbs describes as the seat of emotion, when a thought is infused with an emotion, it becomes your philosophy, your belief system. The word philosophy actually comes from the ancient Greek word phileo, which means love. So in its simple term, the word philosophy means to be in love with what you know. When you develop a belief system, this is now not easily changeable. I can't shift your belief system so easily. The thoughts up here, easily to manipulate. The beliefs down here, very difficult to move. And once a person believes in their heart because of the difficulty that we have in moving it, well, that's, in essence, who we end up becoming. So my question is, what do you believe? And who is it that you're becoming? Research has shown uh, the power of belief in a variety of different studies. And I'd love to share a couple of them them with you today. The first is a study uh, conducted with hotel cleaners. Uh, They asked these hotel cleaners to subject themselves to some biological assessments to determine their health and well-being. Next, they asked the hotel cleaners uh, the important question of how much exercise do you think that you get on a daily basis? And the hotel cleaners would typically respond by saying, "Well." man, we work such long hours that uh, I don't think we've got much time to go to the gym at the end of the day. And and by the way, at the end of the day, we're so exhausted that even if we had time, we don't feel like going. So most people said, I don't get much exercise. But then researchers randomly allocated them into two different groups. And to just one group, they showed them a short 15-minute presentation highlighting that as a hotel cleaner, it's one of the most healthy exercise-filled professions that you can have, such that when you're vacuuming the floor, that's like a tricep workout. When you're making the bed, that's a latricep workout. In fact, your eight-hour workday is the equivalent to a three-hour workout at the gym. You're one of the healthiest professions around, and then left it at that. Three months later, the researchers returned to once again conduct some biological assessments on the hotel cleaner's health and well-being. And what they discovered was that the people who watched the short 15-minute presentation had lost weight. What's more is that they had overall lower blood pressure and a reduction, significant reduction, in body fat. Hang on just a second, what's changed? simply the belief about my work, that my work is a really healthy job, that this is exercise that I'm doing day in, day out. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, now, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's not the power of belief. That's the power of effort as a result of belief. So that if I now know that my job is really healthy, well, when I'm vacuuming, I'm going to be vacuuming with extra vigor. Or when I'm making the bed, I'm going to spread the bedspread just three extra times because it's getting work out here. And as a result of the extra effort, that is what has produced these changes. And you might be right. So researchers went one step further to ask the question, okay, so what if we changed up the experimental conditions? Could we then see that belief alone was able to impact upon one's physical output? In the second study, what they did was they encouraged everyone to come along and have 50 shots at the basketball hoop from the free throw line. See how many you can get out of 50. It was what we call a baseline measure. Then they would be randomly allocated into different groups and encouraged to do three different things. For the first group over here, the people were encouraged every day for the next two weeks to spend 15 minutes practising shooting basketball hoops, like one after the other. Practice, improve your performance if you can. For the group in the middle, they were told, we don't want you to touch a basketball, all we want you to do is think about shooting basketball hoops. So go ahead, find a comfy spot, take a seat, close your eyes, and just imagine holding that basketball. Feel the little bubbles pressing against your fingers. <sniffs> Smell the fresh leather of the basketball and bounce it. What sound does it make? It makes that hollow, tinny, ding, ding, ding sound. And then stand up in your mind and bend your knees and have a look at the hoop and take your sock. And when it goes through the net, what sound does it make? Swoosh. I want you to think about doing that over and over again, just 15, minutes every day for the next two weeks. Got it? All right, you guys over here, what we'd like you to do, nothing. and Don't think about a basketball, don't touch a basketball, just keep on going with your happy, merry life. After a couple of weeks, everyone came back for another test at how many shots you could get out of 50. For the first group, who had been practicing every day for 15 minutes over the course of two weeks, they showed a significant improvement. In fact, this study has been replicated so many times that some studies show an improvement as much as 60%. That's quite significant. For the group who didn't touch a basketball or think about a basketball, you guys made no improvement. But you guys in the middle who didn't touch a basketball but spent 15 minutes every day just imagining shooting basketball hoops, practicing, but in your mind, you all made exactly the same improvement as the people who physically practised. And there's silence. Well, hang on, somebody should be praising the Lord right about now, because I don't know about you, but tomorrow morning at five o'clock when my alarm clock goes off, I'm pressing snooze. I'm not going to the gym. I'm just going to be practising in my mind. I'm just going to have a workout. I'm, I'm jogging, honey. I'm just, I'm jogging. <laughs> it's as powerful for skill development, but not necessarily for biological change. So the question is still remaining. The jury is still out. Can you believe, and it would actually change your biology somehow, not just your performance as an improvement, but could you actually change your biology like we suspected in the first study? So let me share with you one final study. This study Instead of breaking you into different groups, everyone got to participate. And in this study that was conducted by Yale University, they gave everyone a couple of milkshakes to drink and wanted to see how our bodies metabolize them. They they would take a small blood sample at the beginning before drinking the milkshake, and then, of course, a small blood sample after drinking the milkshake to see how our bodies respond. Now, I said there were two different types of milkshake. The first type of milkshake is what we would describe as the healthy milkshake. This is where it's organic Jersey milk, less than 2% fat, organically grown vine ripened fruit, kind of like a a fruit smoothie, if you will. It might not taste very good, but you better bet your bottom dollar it's it's gonna be healthy for you. Whereas the second type of milkshake is what we call the creme de la creme of milkshakes. This is where the flavours have been chemically engineered to make your tongue lick your brain. Like this is going to rock your world. It might not be healthy for you, but it sure tastes good. So enjoy it while it lasts. What the researchers found was that when people drank the healthy milkshake, they had a small drop in their ghrelin hormone. Ghrelin is an appetite-regulating hormone that is secreted in concordance with or in proportion to the number of calories that you have consumed. But when people consumed the unhealthy milkshake, they discovered that they had a 300% greater drop in the ghrelin hormone. Which, on the one hand, kind of makes sense, because if you're consuming a whole lot more calories and the ghrelin hormone is secreted in proportion to the number of calories that you are consuming, then well, of course, we would expect to see much larger volumes of ghrelin, the ghrelin hormone, being secreted in our bodies, except, That's kind of when the researchers broke it to the participants and said, yeah, both milkshakes, exactly the same. Exactly the same milkshake. We just told you that one was unhealthy and the other was healthy. So in essence, if you believe that you are consuming something that is unhealthy, your brain and your body will chime in accordingly. It's like your immune system is eavesdropping in on your subconscious dialogue. If you believe it, In your brain and in your heart, your body chimes in by secreting certain hormones in response. But if you believe you're eating something healthy or consuming a healthy milkshake, well, then your body is tricked by your brain into producing just a small amount of ghrelin. Once again, somebody should be dancing and praising a lot like, this is exciting stuff. I don't know about you, but after this, I'm going to McDonald's. I'm ordering a Big Mac with fries and I'm just going to believe that it is healthy as the juice drips down my face. But of course, you know that also isn't quite true because as the saying goes, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. You can try and convince yourself that the Big Mac is healthy, but deep down, you know that you know that you know it's not. You can try and plead the case with the people around, no, look, it's salad and like lettuce and a piece of tomato, one gherkin, like this is healthy, and yet deep down, you know it's not. So it doesn't matter how much we try and convince ourselves up here, when we have a deep down belief system that something is to the contrary, the contrary will always take the day. This is a little bit how I see people operating in their faith. At the beginning, we talked about Malachi and my son who'd sustained an injury. But what if he was sick? Oftentimes when we have a sick child, we'll pray and we'll ask God for intervention, for a miracle, and sometimes God intervenes. And when he does, our standard response is, thank you, Jesus. I praise you, God. You are a good, good father, and we are loved by you. And the evidence here is clear. Except what do you do if the child doesn't get better? What if the miracle doesn't take place for the broken leg? What do you do with your faith then? Well, we read the scriptures and we see things like, well, it is by our faith that we are healed. So when I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray with fervent faith. In other words, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe. Don't you dare tell me that it might not happen because uh, la, 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 I'm going to believe. But you don't actually know if it's going to happen. You hope. It will happen. You might make declarations of promises in God's word that by his stripes we are healed. And whatever we ask in the name of Jesus, it shall be done for us. And we hope, but we don't actually know. So my question is, what if it doesn't take place? What happens with your faith then? One of the best descriptors of faith is not just a raw blind belief, but rather a trust, that I trust you, God. I trust you with the process and not just the outcome. I believe that you are a good, good father, therefore I trust you. And even though I might not see a miracle, it doesn't mean a miracle hasn't happened. And even though a miracle hasn't happened, it doesn't mean that you don't do miracles, God. It may simply be that I don't yet have the full picture. I might be like Barabbas in the dungeon, only getting a snippet or a glimpse Of what you're up to. Because the scripture says that my ways, God speaking, are different to your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I've got a different perspective of what's happening in this bigger picture. At the beginning of this message, I told the story about my son, Malachi. Well, here's how the story ends. We hopped into the gondola. And uh, the gondola is, of course, going to take us down to the village where the the hospital is. But as we hopped into the gondola, Pastor Sasha said to my son, now you do know, Malachi, that when the door closes, we're going to pray again. So the great thing was, it was just the three of us in the gondola heading down to town. And sure enough, I don't know if you know Pastor Sasha Ans, but man, when he prays, it's like fire and thunder and lightning all taking place inside the little cubicle. It was amazing. He's whipping up a prayer storm, and then from one moment to the next, he stops. And he says, no, no more. I am not praying for your leg anymore. And I thought, why, why not? And he said, because God just told me that this has actually got nothing to do with your leg, but rather this injury is to help you remember what is about to happen next as he starts prophesying over this little nine-year-old boy that God is going to use him to expand God's kingdom. Like like, like his dad who might give a message and two or three people might respond. No, no, you're going to carry a flame in your hand and when it touches the ground, entire fields will light up at once. I'm telling you, I had tears coming down my face. My son was crying, probably because he had a broken leg, but still like... Within an hour of having arrived down at the bottom of the mountain, I took a short video of Malachi to send to Pastor Sasha to say thank you for praying for my son. And we've got that video to watch right now. Well, as you can see, we are back in Bagoon. And just wanted to say thanks so much for a great day. And also, thanks for praying for Malachi, because Malachi... How's your leg? Awesome. How awesome is awesome? Like out of 100? 100. Okay, try and catch me. Show me. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for a great day. Thanks for praying. And Mally? Thanks for praying for me. God bless. Take care. Talk soon. Amen and amen. He is a good, good father. I hope you've understood what actually took place. This wasn't a year later. This was an hour later that this young boy had received a miracle. And he knows the miracle because he knows how bad the break was. And I love that though in the beginning we may not yet fully understand because we don't have the big picture, our responsibility is to be patient and to maintain our faith our trust in Him, that He is a good, good Father and that He has a bigger vantage point of what's taking place and that if we trust Him, His promises, all things work together for good according to those who believe. I'd like to end this service by just praying with you and for you, especially if anybody has any specific needs. If you've been believing for something, if you've been praying for something, then maybe today it's time to pray again. So why don't we stand to our feet as we close this service in prayer. If you have a health need, or if you have a relationship issue, or a financial crisis, or whatever it is, if you need a miracle for some reason or another, and today you're willing to believe. The whole message has been about belief, and it's not just Scripture that talks about the power of belief and of transformation, but now research confirms it. Incredible information. We just didn't know it before because we did not yet have the full picture. But if you will be willing to believe today, then I believe that God, he not only is able to, but today he wants to. So right where you're standing, if that's you, just go ahead and put your hand on your heart according to the verse that says, as a person believes in their heart, so they shall become. So whatever it is that you are believing for today, Let's believe that we can become it, that God can do this miracle for each and every one of us who believes. Father God, I just thank You so much that You are a good, good Father and we trust You implicitly today. We may not fully understand, but we don't need to understand. We just trust that You got it under control. You know what's happening. And in your own timeline, according to Your will, according to Your glory, according to Your story, God, I pray that You would move among us. Right now where people have got their hands on their hearts as a symbol of faith, that we believe that You are not only able, but today You want to, God. So where there is need for healing, I pray, Holy Spirit, You would come. Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals, I thank You, God, for moving in this place right now. God, where there is need for provision, Jehovah Jireh, I pray, come, provide, cause a miracle to take place. God, where there is relationship in crisis, I pray, God, You are the master of relationship, rescue and reconciliation to redeem us and restore us today. Do what only You can do. And we trust You, not just with the outcome, but with the process, God. Even if we don't yet see a miracle, God, we know that You are a miracle worker and You not only can, but You want to in this place. So if you believe, then come on, let's lift up our voices and praise the Lord in one voice, in one song. Come on, let us sing in Jesus' Name. Sometimes, I wonder, when everything fails and fades away, what does remain? Why do we come to this place from near and far? Because at the end of the day, there is nothing else that remains. What would it look like to face the consequences of something so radical? What would it actually look like to follow Jesus? Friendships may fail, heroes may fail, eventually we just turn worthless. He stirs a thirst for truth, compassion and love. Nothing that this earth could ever quench. What is it that we can truly build our lives and hope on? There is one thing and one thing only when it's all said and done. He alone is our solid rock, our center and our foundation.